Well, good morning, folks. Uh, it's good to uh, be with you today. Uh, we are in the book of Acts. Uh, we are in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, so that's where we're picking up today, looking at the travels of the Apostle Paul uh, and his missionary journeys, uh, where he has been. Uh, Paul has been in Athens. He's now going to Corinth, and just by way of reminding you of of some of uh, some of the travels of the Apostle Paul. Uh, here we see some of the maps that uh, that I would share with you, uh, those who are watching live uh, online, and you can uh, you can get a look at. Uh, at these maps to see uh, where Paul has been. Remember, he had been in the Areopagus in Athens, uh, and we looked at that yesterday. Uh, here is a picture of uh, an artist rendering of the Apostle Paul uh, in the Areopagus, teaching, speaking, uh, and then uh, as we talked here is another picture for those who can see this, uh, who are not listening to the podcast, uh, the, the remains of the structure of the uh, Athenian Areopagus, uh, which was the place uh, that the ruling council uh, would meet uh, to deliberate law and philosophy and uh, various issues of the day. And so Paul had gone into this place, as was his custom, to go find crowds of people and try to speak to them both in the synagogues, uh, which we'll read here a little bit later on, as well as into public places as we're looking at here. Um, another map, Asia Minor, which would now be considered modern Turkey, uh, also known as Galatia. So in Paul writing to the church of the Galatians, uh, it may not have been a particular city, but rather a, a whole region to whom Paul is appealing as he would later on write to the letter to the Galatians, those living in the area of Asia Minor. Um, the map, if you were looking at a map, the, the far lower right-hand corner, we would see Jerusalem. And as you go up along that edge uh, on your screen, you would see Syria, the Syrian Antioch, and then Cilicia, uh, and then beginning now to head west, Tarsus, which was the home city of Paul, continuing on uh, over to the west to Colossae, and then further west to Ephesus that is on the, uh, on the coast of the uh, now called the Aegean Sea. Then you head north to Philippi, continue uh, a little bit southwest of Thessalonica, and that now we're in what we would know as it was Achaia then, but now we would know as Greece. Uh, and then down you will see Corinth uh, on this particular map. And then finally, uh, a, a little bit larger map, uh, Athens and Corinth, just about on the same, same plane, uh, same longitude, and... Uh, Athens and Corinth here in, in this part of Greece, uh, and Corinth being uh, really near a port city, almost like we would look at Belfast Bay Area here uh, on a bay, uh, and this is where Paul will now head uh, in, his, in his teaching. 
So let's pick up in the text. It says, after this, Paul went uh, left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met uh, Achilla, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, they he stayed and worked with them. Now, I'm just going to stop here for a little bit and uh, pull out some details out of this section, uh, these couple of verses. Uh, we will know a little bit later on in the book of Acts a change in the order of names. Uh, here we first meet Achilla, who was the husband, and his wife Priscilla. Later on, we will see them listed as Priscilla and Achilla, and uh, uh, some of the thought that is with that is that Priscilla perhaps was a little bit more uh, prominent. Uh, maybe she was more uh, deliberative in her ability to speak, uh, and that's not saying that Achilla wasn't, but the thought is by some at least that Priscilla just just was a more apt communicator than was Achilla. Uh, and so you will see that switch. And, and that that's something that will kind of speak into uh, the role of women. Um, sometimes we go to just a few things that uh, a few verses that Paul has written uh, to Timothy. Uh, and we sometimes more significantly limit the role of women in the life of the church than, than possibly was even the reality in Paul's day and in the application in Paul's day. Um, now, I do believe that uh, places of, of eldership and uh, lead pastoring, I personally believe uh, from the study of Scripture that, that those are left uh, as roles for men, but yet there were women who were noted as phenomenal deaconesses. There are women who, like Priscilla, who was a foremost, perhaps, apologist and a foremost disciple maker. Uh, some that were perhaps apt to teach, apt to speak. Uh, we, we read about prophetesses, even in the book of Acts, and uh, in our day, often, at least in the West, we, we limit women significantly more, perhaps, than what the text of Scripture does, based on only a few verses. Um, there's complementarianism, and I am a complementarian uh, in, in that I believe that the leading roles, and, and, and even the, 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 the text of Scripture bears witness that there, there was not one uh, of the apostles that was named as a woman. They were all men. Uh, and we see all the elders and those Paul appointed were men. Uh, so being a complementarian, I believe, is in keeping with Scripture. To complementarian is that there are distinct roles for men and women. Uh, the other view is the rule, uh, the view of egalitarianism that we're all equal, totally, uh, with equal access to all things, and uh, and then between the two ends of that spectrum, there there is a landing place. Uh, some would be extreme on either end of the spectrum, and some come into some some middle place. Uh, and I I tend more toward the middle on many things. Uh, in my study of Scripture, I see many things in the middle, uh, and this is one of those areas where 
I think sometimes we limit women more than we should uh, in the church. And yet I also want to uh, counter that by saying I think in some church settings uh, more liberty is given to women than than I think uh, Scripture itself gives also. And and there's a tension and there's a balance in that that I think we need to maintain. Now, I don't want to labor long on that point other than the fact that we see Priscilla and she is prominent and she will figure as one who will be, she and her husband together, a prominent discipler of uh, Apollos. and, And that comes later on in the text of Scripture. Now, I want to the title for today is Work and Witness. And the reason I have given that title is because um, Paul is uh, one who, yes, he has raised support. He has support from various people, from various uh, churches, various regions that support him in his ministry that would send him with, with goods and with money. Uh, in his travels, uh, as as I need to do, uh, and if you would like to contribute to uh, to my global travels, international travels, supporting the church internationally and disciple making, uh, go to concentricglobal.org, concentricglobal.org, and find the giving link, uh, and you will find a little box that has a few names in it. Mine being one of them, click there and you can set up to become a regular supporter uh, of what I do. And, and I would be most appreciative of that. But the other thing that the Apostle Paul did was uh, he made tents. Now, in our day, we think tents, we're thinking like REI, LL Bean, the North Face, you know, or we're thinking outdoor camping and, and, and that type of thing. Well, that that isn't the types of tents that they were making. They, they were not shelter tents necessarily for people to live in. Although, when you go over into uh, parts of the world, in various parts of the world, but you get into, uh, into the Middle East, the regions around Palestine and whatnot, you see people living almost in tents, especially the Bedouins uh, living in tents. But the types of tents that Paul is making uh, as a tent maker, uh, as a skill that, that Paul had acquired, uh, together with Priscilla and Aquila, they made tents that were designed for the Festival of Booths, the Jewish Festival of, of Booths, Tents, Tabernacles, uh, in which they remembered their their journeying in the desert region for that 40 years uh, and how, how God had led them. And even today, uh, in modern era, the Jewish people still practice the, the Feast of Booths. And um, if you were to go to Jerusalem uh, during that season, uh, you would find all kinds of tents set up all over the place as people go to Jerusalem and Jews in other places of the world who also practice, and many, in fact, probably most who are practicing Jews, will practice the Feast of Booths and will set up and go out and live in a little tent for a week. Uh, and so in Jerusalem, it, it's very festive. It's a big party, uh, not a drunken party, orgy-type party, but but festive, worshipful food, uh, fellowship uh, type of time. And... Um, people living in their tents for that week. And these are the types of tents that Paul would have been making. He needed to do uh, from time to time things to strengthen the support for his ministry. And 
that's something that we need to consider in our day as well. Now, I, I can tell you this, uh, in America at least, and there are other places perhaps most strongly in the West, Western Europe and, and, and places uh, of that sort, where uh, there it used to be that there was strong uh, ministerial support. Uh, churches w- would take care of, of the financial needs of of the, the pastors. Now, a lot had to do with the region in which a pastor may have been uh, ministering. Uh, some regions that, that maybe were uh, of lesser means, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, d- could not maybe give as much in support to a pastor. Uh, and yet there are other churches, especially in more larger metropolitan or suburban areas, uh, that that took very significant good care of those who served them in in uh, roles as clergy, as pastors, as ministers, uh, taking care of things such as uh, health insurance and retirement and and things of that nature, and allowing them, uh, affording them to live in nice homes and drive nice cars or have nice clothes or nice horses in, in those days of horses and buggies and things of that nature. Uh, and yet there were other places where there were uh, not as much means. Uh, I've always pretty much been in situations other than two ministry situations uh, where my wife has worked for insurance uh, to, to cover health insurance, health insurance in America for two of us uh, compared to what, the value or the cost of the health insurance is where she works currently. If we were to purchase that, it would cost about $18,000 for the year, just for two of us. Uh, and uh, so some pastors have, have done these things called side gigs. Now, some have written books. Some are prolific authors. You think John Piper, Charles R. Swindoll. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, Rick Warren, and others that have become uh, prolific authors as pastors. Uh, David Jeremiah would be another, and there are others that come to mind that have done so well in in writing books out of their sermons, actually, uh, that uh, some of them don't even need to to take any money uh, for support from their local church because they have done so well. Other pastors do other side gigs. Uh, along the way, I have uh, I have run heavy equipment. Uh, along the way, I have worked in the foundry. I've driven school bus. Uh, I've been a substitute teacher. I have uh, I, I've been a, a school administrator at a Christian school. Uh, I've been a, a college level professor and administrator. Uh, things that I've needed to do uh, to to help fill in some of the gaps uh, left. Um, in situations that, that maybe don't quite uh, provide quite enough for what we need for, for our level of living. Uh, and, and that's, in fact, bivocationalism among pastors is growing. Uh, more and more pastors are becoming bivocational, uh, especially in smaller churches. Churches can't afford to pay. And I know some churches, they want their pastor full-time, but they're 18 people and they cannot afford uh, to, to really take care of that pastor. And I think they need to become realistic about the fact that, look, you're, you're going to need to have a part-time pastor because you cannot afford a full-time pay. And so settle for a full-time pastor. Let the, let the man live comfortably. And uh, 
Some people think we'll take a couple bags of groceries and things like that. And, and places of the world, that might be adequate. But here in the United States, that, that probably isn't adequate. So many pastors, they're, they're side gigs, side hustles, side jobs. In fact, uh, someone talked to me about a year ago about something that we could do to, to supplement income. And that's something that, that we need to look at that isn't ministry related. Pretty much everything I've done uh, in the last uh, decade, uh, 13 years, well, I, except for plowing snow, I guess, uh, has been uh, has been ministry related, and uh, so our support has come through those means and through my wife working a full time job elsewhere, uh, and that's just a common thing. Uh, some are bivocational. Some pastors work full time jobs and don't take money from uh, from their churches, but they're not also full time pastors, and, and a lot has to do with the expectation placed upon the pastor. Uh, in that given situation. Now, Paul, a tent maker, filling in some gaps here uh, in his ministry. But then it continues on in verse 4, Acts chapter 18. Every Shabbat, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. He was speaking both to those who were Jewish and to those who were Greek. And it says uh, this in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Paul had a season of making tents and spoke on the weekends, and now he has given himself full-time to the ministry when Silas and Timothy, perhaps they picked up and, and, and they were doing some of the tent making. We we don't know. There's an implication of that here uh, that, they, that they shared in the ministry, and Paul, as the foremost communicator, foremost teacher, foremost theologian, perhaps foremost uh, philosopher among them, devoted himself exclusively to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. It says, when Paul, uh, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protests and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Those who should have been receiving the message, a.k.a. the Jews who rejected the message, he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. So he shook out his clothes and said, I'm free from the responsibility. Uh, Paul left the synagogue and went next uh, went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, someone who was open to the gospel, someone who perhaps was even following after Christ. Uh, and uh, so he went to that house and, and that, that house was a house of peace. They opened their home to Paul. They opened their home to the gospel. So Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So here we see the synagogue ruler believing. We see Titius Justice, uh, which we're not sure whether he was Jewish or not, but he, he was a worshiper of God. He's believing. But then one night, it says in verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. Now, the reason that the Lord gave this vision to Paul was because of the fact that Paul would be uh, threatened at least, uh, and he needed uh, internal, uh, heavenly, heaven-sent uh, fortification, uh, clarification, uh, inspiration to continue doing what he was doing. 
So verse 11 reads that Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. The Lord had given him the encouragement to stay and to speak, so Paul does that very thing. He stays and speak, uh, uh, speaks, teaches for that year and a half and establishes the church in Corinth. It says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as about Paul's about to speak, uh, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions uh, about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Here we see the court being friendly to the gospel, being friendly to the apostle Paul. Uh, And uh, in fact, it it ends up the, the harm that Sosthenes and those trying to bring these charges against Paul, it turns on their head. And that reminds us of various of the Psalms prayed by, uh, prayed by David that uh, the Lord would, would see to it that his enemies, that things would turn on their heads. And, and you can read several Psalms where, where uh, David prays prayers like that, that the Lord would bring down justice upon those who meant him as a man of God harm. And this is exactly what we see happening here in the book of Acts. You know, in our day, we, we're called to the marketplace. We're called to the neighborhood. We spend, uh, you know, a few hours a week in a local church, uh, and we spend most of the rest of our time in the neighborhood or in, in the marketplace, and that is the place where we are called to be witnesses. Uh, one of the things that we'll be establishing here, uh, at least I'm hoping to establish both among Lay people and among pastors are some disciple-making communities. And disciple-making community is different than a small group. Small groups perhaps are led by one person, and they can go on uh, ad infinitum. Uh, and they don't necessarily have as a purpose. And I mean, a lot of small groups only need a little tweaking, uh, and they could be much more disciple-making focused than, than many are. Uh, by including, and this will be part of the Sapping community, you need to have people whom you're praying for. You need to have people th- that are not Christians. You need to have people who uh, who you're seeking to cultivate a relationship with, to plant the seeds of the gospel and to reap the harvest. Additionally, if you'll be a part of the Sapping community, you'd be committing to pouring your life into somebody else and challenging them to have non-Christians that uh, that they're reaching out to and challenging them to have another Christian that they're trying to pour into, at least maybe even two other Christians. And and if we would see that model be replicated, how much more ministry could take place? Uh, we, we oftentimes do, you know, we, we just do ministry, but we need to add to ministry multiplication uh, by saying, okay, how do we engage other people in this? And we need to add to multiplication movement by uh, helping people do this in such a way that it just begins to take off and happen on its own. Uh, and we see the move of God as many more people are being one to Christ, not because of events, not because of fancy church services, 
but because believers are reaching out with the gospel in their spheres of influence. Uh, and this this is how uh, many of us think that was the strategy of Jesus. Now, I'm not opposed, and many of us who think this way are not opposed to you know, events and gatherings and, and and things of that nature by any stretch of imagination. Let, let's reach people. That, that That is our heart. But when we look at the model of Jesus, we think that one of the things that's missing, especially in the West, is, is the mouth-to-mouth, the word-of-mouth, mouth-to-ear, I should say, uh, the word-of-mouth uh, spread of the gospel where Christians share the gospel with other people, uh, in their spheres of influence, work, neighborhood, civic groups, things of that nature, uh, where where they can communicate the gospel. We want to see uh, see us move from ministry to multiplication, from multiplication to movement, and uh, that's our prayer. That's our hope, and this is what we see happening here uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul as we're watching the church multiply. Uh, across what was then known as Asia, over into Macedonia, down into Greece. Uh, and, and the gospel is spreading, the gospel is multiplying, and it's our prayer that we'd see the same thing in our day. I would ask you, uh, who are you praying for? Do you have some non-believers that you are trying to build a relationship with, with the goal of some point in time, not only introducing them to Jesus, but seeing them become part of the family of God? Do you have some other believers into whose life you are pouring so that they can be developed uh, uh, as followers of Christ and that they would also be multipliers? That's my prayer. Uh, That's the point of daily discipleship, is that we would go from discipleship to disciple-making. And I pray that you uh, will grow to become a disciple maker as well. Well, this is the end of this section. We'll pick up uh, in uh, Acts 18 again tomorrow. Uh, Lord, help us to to grow as disciples. Help us to grow in our discipleship, that we might grow in our disciple making, that we might move from ministry to multiplication to movement and see you be glorified. Lord, where there need where's where there's the need of resources, like in my ministry um, globally through Concentric, would you provide those resources? Where there's the need of daily necessities in places like India, uh, and South Sudan, and other places, would you provide for those daily resources of food that are needed in places like that? And our our brothers and sisters in India who are a part uh, daily of our broadcast, that you'd provide for their needs as well. Lord, help us to grow uh, in our hearts to follow you, to be used by you, and to see your kingdom multiply through our obedience. Lord, hear our prayer for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you again.